kind of as I uh, progress into maybe high school time frame, teenage years, uh, there was some financial struggles a little bit. We were pretty poor as a family. Um, was eight of us in the household. It's a three-bedroom house. If there was uh, friends or somebody that was struggling, um, my parents would open the home up for people coming in. I was working in the warehouse with uh, with this gentleman who worked at FedEx at the time, and so he um, just asked me. Hey, you want to, you ever think about working at FedEx? You're kind of a hard worker. I think you do well there. And so I said, sure. You know, we moved out to Colorado uh, two and a half years ago. So I had almost 19 years with FedEx at the time when I decided to leave. And so I had um, nearly five weeks vacation. Um, I was gaining another week within a year after <laughs> I quit. But Matt with the business and um, it, just the, the growth that he had been seeing, it, it looked like it was going to be a good time to, to make a move and come on out here. With FedEx, there was a lot of security. I mean, most people would put a lot of value in that security of having a, you know, it was a Fortune, Fortune, at least a Fortune 100 company, um, if not a Fortune 50. But it's a, it's a very large company. Um, There's never a concern of would they make payroll? You know, would I have a paycheck? Um, there typically was, uh, as long as you could perform and you could do the job well, which kind of had proved, I guess, eight nine years in management that it, it wasn't. A, a major concern. Um, it was a pretty stable job. Had a lot of vacation, a lot of benefits. We had the the stability of a good job, stay at home. The realization of okay, hey, you know, Tammy's well established in in the in the community. Um, there's a lot of friendships that we've had or acquaintances, and you know, there's the realization of the kids leaving their friends. You know, us leaving our friends. There's the um, you know when we're pulling down. Um, we're pulling down the street to leave. Um, you know, the kids are chasing us as we're leaving, which is pretty hard. And you got the neighborhood kids chasing the um, chasing up, uh, the truck as we're leaving for the final go. So that was pretty hard. Um, you know, we get out um, to Denver. Within three, four days, we were under contract. We hadn't done inspections yet. We were um, just into, um, just under contract on the house. We put our furnace money down. Um, and just a after that, we um, kind of things fell apart a little bit. Um, things at the shop got a little bit rockier. Um, There's a little more uncertainty with, um, with, with the job. Um, there was, uh, there was some uncertainty whether or not I'd be able to afford this house if I did, if the business dissolved and the business couldn't handle this this um, tragedy that was happening. And so if we couldn't make it through, um, we couldn't make it through this tragedy, it's kind of like, well, you know, we just moved all the way out to Denver for what? Um, go through all that heartache with, um, with moving family and the kids and just, you kind of just go, oh, why? You know what? You know, I could, I, I had a, I had a hard time believing that we made that move and came all the way out here, and whether it was God's nudging us out here or not, I had a hard time believing that we would go through all that, and um, I just didn't have the, I, I had the faith that things were going to work out um, for us, and so 
um, for all of us. So um, there was some, you know, there was a big commitment and a big uh, step of faith leaving that commit or leaving that, that comfort zone of that, you know, Fortune 100 company, um, having the the stability of that paycheck and going into a, an environment that you may or may not have a paycheck. You know, looking back, I wouldn't trade anything that we did, but um, there's definitely a, a commitment that you you just got to trust. I'm going to sound really good now because it's Dana's mic. It's not the microphone. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, Dan Harris, everybody. Um, and Dan and Tammy and their three great kids. Well, at least two of them. I'm just kidding. All three of you are awesome. I wasn't looking at you, Isaac. Just kidding. Um, they are just such a joy, and if you haven't gotten to know this family, um, you got like a great, um, great future ahead of you just to, just to know them um, and their story and their life. Um, Dan, I, I just, uh, I know from talking to you and I know from talking to Tammy, man, that was such a hard move. Uh, 18 months ago, uh, dropping everything, coming out here. I think that a lot of times in church circles, what people like to communicate to others is some sort of a burning bush experience, some sort of a pillar of fire that you're following, and God's in it the whole way, and you know it to the core of who you are. But tell me a little bit more about, like, the faith to do that versus, like, a burning bush experience. Um. I mean, I guess the story was uh, we vacationed out here a lot. Um, Matt moved out here maybe uh, 10, 11 years ago, and we'd vacation out since I had a lot of vacation time. And we'd come out and follow family around the, the country when we were vacationing. But um, fell in love with the place, and then um, there was always this discontentment a little bit with FedEx. Um, I mean, it was a really good company, but there was just – I felt like my wagon wasn't ho hooked to the right um, – the right engine like it just it didn't feel always right and um it provided a lot but it just didn't i didn't have that faith that um that was going to really take me where i wanted to be and so um i felt like coming out here we were going to be able to hook our wagon to something much better i mean it was going to be a lot greater for for both you know our family um, just long term it was going to be better and so there was always this nudge of a uh, uh, internal drive to say hey you know what it'd be, it'd be great to do that but then there's that security there's that comfort there's that hey you know it's going to be hard do you want to really do it um, it was never like that burning bush like Dan move <laughs> it was never like that uh, looking back you can uh, you know you connect the dots and the puzzle comes together and you kind of go okay yeah I think you know it was really God inspired but um but at the time no it was kind of uh wasn't sure if it was my will or um jointly our family's will probably more my will but um 
but I can look back now and say, hey, I, I think there was a reason we came out here. So well, it's amazing just taking that next step and, uh, and you know thinking back to when we planted this church, there was there was something that I was looking for that was like a burning bush experience and it never happened. And so I can totally relate to that. It's just, just seems like this is the direction to go and you go. So you get out here and, and it, it's, things look even more uncertain than you would have even thought. Um, just a lot of things go down and that was a really difficult thing. And over the time, I remember sitting and talking with you, gosh, maybe six, eight weeks in and you just really felt, you just had a peace that, that you were here for a reason, that God had actually put you here, um, you and your family to be a part of even something messier than you even, even thought. Um, but then you start getting into life and things start going uh, well with the company and, um, and, and you begin to uh, hear about these little opportunities about maybe going to Rancho with our church and doing some different things. And we had a conversation about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you and how you're beginning to pay attention a little bit more to that. Can you share with me, us, about that? Yeah, so um, so I feel like it's kind of newer to me, but I feel like um, there's times where in the past— uh, maybe I feel like a, a little lead from the Holy Spirit or a little nudge. You know, Rancho came up, uh, what, two years ago or whatever as an opportunity, and I kind of let life get in the way, um, made some excuses. And then um, there was the nudge when, uh, when there was talk of the mission trip going to Nicaragua. And so um, I kind of felt like, hey, you know, I, I keep getting nudged. I think I want to actually listen this time and, and do something about it. And so... Um, decided to go to Nicaragua, and it was a great trip, and there's a lot of cool stuff that, um, that I learned or, or had an opportunity to be part of, and um, I, I guess I just look at it going, you know, fast forward my life 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and I, I feel like I, from a relationship side, I need to uh, listen to those nudges um, if I really want to be able to see the fruits of the Spirit, whether that's the right view or a wrong view. I feel like if I constantly suppress the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit will probably be less prevalent in my life. And so um, I desire for whatever reason, whether it's wrong reasons or <laughs> I desire the, the fruits of the Spirit, um, whether that's rooted in selfishness or <laughs> uh, love or whatever those fruits of the Spirit that I, I wish to um, to see. I, I feel like I, I've i come from this, the view recently that I feel like after going to Nicaragua, I really need to listen to those nudges once in a while, take it to the next step. And, and uh, I think actually your, your trip mate, Dan, has a question for you. <laughs> audience participation questions. If anybody else has, I'm just kidding. I probably would reference the, uh, you know, it's, it, that's a 
pretty big question, but I think um, taking lead from the Holy Spirit, whether it's through trusting, whether it's through grabbing that next step, whether it's, um, you know, there's a, going to Nicaragua wasn't something that was necessarily high on my list, like, hey, top 10 vacations, I want to go to Nicaragua. Um, you know, I kind of went down there going, hey, I'll, uh, I'll probably help out, do some work, that'd be great, and probably get a different perspective on life, maybe seeing some different living conditions, uh, which both happened. But yet, um, one thing that really struck me um, differently down there was seeing the leaders and the staff at Sunica in, in Nicaragua. Um, I was challenged to see the love that they had, um, which I would lean back on were the fruits of the Spirit. It was pretty probably borderline supernatural, the love that they had. I, I was challenged to go, you know, I don't think I have that much love for people, to be honest. Like, they gave up, they gave up quite a bit to go down there, um, move down there, or um, the ones that, there was uh, half the, well, a third of the staff was maybe from the states, and then there was a um, two-thirds of the staff or more were from Nicaragua. And just to see, you know, too often I was, I, in the past I've been focused on building my own empire, building my own, you know, build, basically building my own empire and not focused, yeah, building my kingdom and not focused on God's kingdom. And you go down there and you're kind of challenged to go, wow, they, you know, they, they have more love capacity than I do. So um, just challenge to, to, to same thing, go back on the, the Holy Spirit's nudge whether that's through my finances or through my, my time or through my relationships, just to, to take those nudges and, and not let them go by. That's cool. Actually, I have one more question, and it has to do with Sunika. We are going to be doing, um, letting people jump in on this opportunity about these bathroom situations. Um, <laughs> I should have prefaced that a whole lot better. Uh, <laughs> There's a there's a there's a movement right now. <laughs> there is I know. Am I good here? Okay, cool. I can use my mic now. Um, there's a there's, there's a campaign <laughs> to put a bathroom, a working bathroom, in every home in this particular village that Sunika is really involved in, and. There are churches all over the country, like ours, who are going to come together in the next six to eight weeks and do a campaign to make that happen. And can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like for one of these homes and kind of how people potentially could be involved? Yeah, sure. Um, so Sinika brought fresh water a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago or so, to, uh, to this village. Um, the wells in the, they had uh, pit toilets and then they had uh, shallow wells. And so during the flood seasons, they kind of commingled the water wood. So it wasn't. Uh, That's bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. bad. So they, they dug a really deep well and they provided fresh water to the town, which was great. Um, and now there's kind of a, a next step. They want to bring um, modern day flush toilets to this community of about 135 homes. And so. Um, for about $1,000 a piece, they can put in um, a bathroom with uh, running water for each family. And so there's a, uh, um, 
Sunique is based out of North Carolina, and so there's a, a big fundraising event going on for November and December to, to see what they can do to, to fund those 135 homes um, for bathrooms. And so um, it, it was one of the towns that we got to visit, so it's really, um, it's actually one of the towns that we stayed in overnight, and so it was really good. Um, you know, it's close to, to, I guess, to my heart as well, but um, we're gonna see what we can do. I kinda, um, Brandy and I, um, Brandy was on uh, staff or on uh, on the board for Sunica for a little while, and so um, we're going to kind of co-campaign to see what we can do both outside the church and then see what you guys want to do inside the church. Um, cool. What we can do. Yeah, we'll have more information coming to you very shortly. So let me pray for Dan, and we'll get going. God, thank you so much for Dan and his heart, and for Tammy and the kids. We just are so thankful that they, um, we're so thankful they moved here. We're so thankful that what you're doing in their life, um, how you're growing each and every one of them, what they mean to this community. So God, would you uh, continue to show them your way, give Dan and Tammy and the kids even more opportunity to follow you in unique and even simple ways. We pray these things in your name, amen. Would you guys do me a favor, stand up, say hi to someone next to you, and we'll get started. Hey, Luke chapter 7, if you have a Bible. Um, if you don't, there's a screen to make it easy for you. Luke chapter 7, let's read this. When Jesus had finished saying all the, this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. A couple of things happening in this story are pretty different than you would normally experience in other stories with Jesus. Uh, this story actually describes a world in which things don't happen the way they're supposed to happen. Uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit here. And in honor of Stranger Things Season 2, we're going to talk about some stranger things that are happening here. Now, if you're not a stranger thing, you don't even know what it is, that's fine. I just, I just need to find out who's already finished the season. Oh, there's like, yes, there's, you guys can get together and talk about it, um, but, but just be off in the corner because some of us are partway through it. So if you don't know what a stranger thing is, stranger things is, um, well, just talk to somebody. 
Anyhow, so, uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to see where this leads us into uh, what it looks like to have greater allegiance and faith in Jesus. Deal? Deal? It's going to be quick. We've got to roll. All right, so verse 1, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, uh, what's happening is, is he's just coming off the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, or as Luke calls it, the Sermon on the Plain, and I, it's too much to get into. The people were listening to Jesus in, in, this, in this great big teaching that he was doing. We talked about this uh, last spring. And he enters a city called, a little town called Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually what they call the Gospel Triangle. And there's some very, um, very God-fearing, God-loving Jewish people up in this region. This is where, this region is where he recruited some of his disciples who were fishermen. Okay, so right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then it says in verse 2, there's a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, and he was sick and about to die. So what we know is there's a centurion in this city, in this town of Capernaum. He is, um, and, and a centurion is not just a Roman soldier, a foot soldier. A centurion is actually someone with some serious credentials. They are somebody who's in charge of at least a hundred men. And so this person, this centurion, is actually a big deal. He's, he's climbed his way up the military ladder. He's uh, somebody who, who sends out orders and tells people what to do and is a big deal. And we know he's a big deal because he actually has servants. Chances are this servant, this particular servant, was Jewish. It was probably a, a Jewish uh, a man, a young boy or whatever, and, and this servant had become somebody dear to the centurion. This servant had actually been somebody who the centurion, I mean, if you're a centurion and you have servants, I mean, you probably at this day and age, you don't care whether they die or they live. You'll just get another one. But for some reason, this is different. This is kind of a stranger thing happening here. The servant is probably, a, a, like I said, a Jewish young man who, who asked to be a servant. Economically, in those days, day and age, it's not like you, you, actually being a servant, being a slave was actually better than some of the alternatives. Some, some scholars believe that up to 80% of the Roman world, uh, people were in some sort of servitude at the time. And so this young man probably looked at his options, much like today, if we were to say, you know, you've got a couple options as a young man, you can go into the military, or you can be homeless, or you can, you get to the point where you, there's, there's, a, there's a couple just small opportunities that you have, and you just pick the one that's best. And this servant probably picked to be a servant. And, and fortunate for this servant, he picked a Roman centurion that seems to have a heart for people, which is probably the first big stranger thing. Because this Roman centurion treats his slave more like a friend than a piece of property. That he's got this love for this servant in such a way that, that he would actually pursue healing for this kid. This centurion actually works with the Jewish people to find a healer. The centurion's heart beats differently. 
Verse 3, it says, The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And there's a difference here in Matthew's account of this. Matthew actually doesn't talk about uh, Jesus sending people. He actually talks about Jesus talking face-to-face with this with this centurion now, and a lot of people, um, they're like, see, the Bible's got errors. Um, but actually, the, the, the reason behind Matthew saying that is to kind of cut to what's going on. When you're a centurion and you send someone to, to speak to somebody else, it's as if you're actually talking to the person face to face. There is something about the emissary thing involved here. And so when it says in verse 4, when, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Okay, stranger thing number two, this Roman centurion loves the Jewish people. These Jewish elders love him. This is crazy. Like if you know anything about the Jew-Gentile thing and especially a Roman occupying force in the Jewish land, this is absolutely crazy. That a Jewish uh, group of Jewish leaders would actually love the man who's in charge of occupying their town. And this, this centurion helped build and fund their synagogue. This is nuts. This is, this is a story that is just crazier as it goes. So somewhere down the line, this Roman centurion heard of Jesus. Whether it was uh, watched him heal some people, whether he, maybe people came back early from the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like, man, you wouldn't believe what's going on. Usually Jesus has a whole bunch of Jewish leaders mad at him, but these ones don't seem to be mad at him. It's just, it's just crazy. So verse six, it says, so Jesus went with them and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He's showing serious humility here. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, my soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here's what's just happening. His servant is sick. He sends word to Jesus, asking Jesus to come heal him. Thinks better of it, sends another group of friends that says, don't worry about it. I don't even need, I, I don't even want to come to you myself. I don't feel like I can do it. You just need to know that I think you can heal him right where you are. You just say the word. You don't have to come. You don't, don't bother. I know you can just do it. And just say the word. Jesus' response is so great. But the fact that a Roman centurion is humbling himself to an itinerant Jewish teacher is stranger thing, thing number three. I mean, this is just so weird. This is so backwards. This is not something that's normal in this culture. So when Jesus heard this, he, it says here, he was amazed. He was marveling at him. 
And turning to the crowd, he makes it a teachable moment in that instance. He turns to the crowd who's just heard him talk about the Sermon on the Mount and all this stuff. He turns to the crowd. Oh, and by the way, do you remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about faith and where you put your faith and all that kind of stuff? This is like the, like the teaching moment for Jesus, like following up the Sermon on the Mount. This is like the lab, okay, for Jesus. He says this. He was amazed. He says, I tell you, I have not, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Like even in Israel, even in this community of people that should know who I am, should know what's coming, should know what the scriptures say, I haven't even found faith like this there. So the last stranger thing is this. Jesus was amazed at somebody else. See, all the while, Jesus has always been amazing people with his miracles, amazing people with his healings, amazing people with his teaching. But Jesus' jaw drops and hits the floor when he sees, when he hears of this man, this centurion, and the faith he has. It says in verse 10, Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So the heart of the story is not the actual healing of the servant. That actually, Jesus doesn't even speak a word of healing. It doesn't say that. It, it, that's not the focus of this. The focus of this whole story, the, the framework is the healing, but the actual faith of the centurion, that's the point. That's the focus. This story is like a story, it's like the story that takes place over and over again in the New Testament, all over the Gospels. You'd be hard-pressed to find a chapter in the Gospels where Jesus is not addressing faith or a lack of faith. That's just always part of what Jesus is talking about. So two things kind of strike me with this centurion. One is his humility. I mean, he's got a huge set of, I mean, he's just, He's set up with humility, and he doesn't have to be humble. I mean, he's a centurion. I mean, he can tell just, he can make anything happen. He gets orders from 50 miles away in Caesarea, and, and he does what he's told. But he can make anything happen. And to come to Jesus is just a huge amount of humility to say, listen, I can't solve this. I am not capable of solving this, but you are. You can say the word. You don't even have to come. You can say the word and he'll be healed. Second thing that's really important about this centurion is his faith. He knew the word of Christ and his authority were enough. He knew it. Now, the centurion was amazed. He, had, he was probably amazed at who Jesus was long before he knew that Jesus was coming. But you know what's interesting? And all these people following Jesus are probably amazed at Jesus too. But most people didn't do anything with that amazement. They just kept following him, which is good. But here's, the, here's one man who did something with the amazement he had with Jesus. Like I said, perhaps he heard a sermon, perhaps he saw someone get healed, but the centurion regards Jesus as the one with the authority to do what needs to be done. And when we talk about that word faith a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea behind it, that it's something a little bit bigger than just a mental belief, right? It's something a little bit bigger than just having a good feeling towards Jesus, or being just amazed by Jesus. 
We talked about this word faith in the Greek. It's the word pistis. And the word pistis has a lot more than just having reliability or confidence or assurance in something, which are all those things that I believe that the centurion had. He probably was thinking Jesus was pretty reliable and probably had some confidence in Jesus. But there's something really interesting about his faith in Jesus. For a Roman soldier to give their allegiance to anything else besides Rome or Caesar was pretty scandalous. And what Jesus, what Jesus is interaction with the centurion, what this shows is the centurion actually believes that Rome and Caesar can't do anything to fix, to, to heal this sick servant. And so he has to go outside the box. He's got to go outside and find somebody who can. And what he's found is Jesus. And so his faith is actually more than just belief and good feelings and amazement at how good of a teacher Jesus is. He actually switches teams. He actually pledges a different loyalty. He actually sees that Jesus can do what can't be done in his world. One scholar puts it like this. There is nothing in the New Testament to suggest that faith is a general awareness of a supernatural dimension or a general trust in the goodness of, of some distant divinity. Faith in Christian terms, means believing precisely that the living God has entrusted his authority to Jesus himself, who is now exercising it for the salvation of the world. So as a centurion, faith was in Caesar alone, was in Rome alone, and then this centurion, out of his love for his servant, goes against all he knows and all he serves, and his faith rests in Jesus. Now, we don't know the whole story. We don't know, you know the end game. We don't know all of that that plays out after that. But this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. In fact, this centurion is kind of leading the way for probably many of the Jewish people that he loves and that love him. Matthew Bates writes this. He says this, Allegiance to Jesus the King demands that we live our lives under the authority of our king, no matter the consequences. So it's interesting. We have a conversation with Dan about moving here. We have a conversation with Dan about the Holy Spirit moving and nudging in his life and, and kind of the ways he's growing and the ways that he is, he's learning to become less um, focused on money and, and more uh, like on what God is doing, less focused on building his kingdom and more on what God's kingdom's like. This is like the centurion. This is like what God is calling all of us to become. And it's, it's a journey, isn't it? It's a process, and we need each other to do it. I need Dan's encouragement to do that in my life. I need those nudgings and those, those encouragements from the people in this community to make that happen. So here's where I thought we would end today. If Jesus is so serious about faith all throughout the Gospels, and it seems he is, and if where it's present, there's power and vitality and a real depth of life, 
And where it's lacking is there's pain and there's sorrow and there's destruction. And if he's so serious about it, then I think we would be really crazy to rush out of here without taking a little bit of stock in our own lives. Where we are and what's going on at the core of our lives. Is there an area in my life where I've refused to walk? where I've refused to have allegiance to Jesus? Is there an area where God has said, this is where I want you to go, and I've just said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Has, there been, has he been saying, hey, this is, this is a sin in your life, Ryan, that needs to be confessed. This needs to be dealt with. This is, a, this is the new direction I want you to go. And I've said, yeah, maybe. In the end, and I'll teach this until the day I die, the commands of God and the direction of God are always about our joy, always about our life, not about begrudging submission. So when Jesus talks about uh, giving things away and feeding the poor and, and pushing aside your kingdom for his kingdom and doing crazy stuff, right? Crazy stuff like, like attempting to love our enemies and to, to attempt to, to do all these things in our lives that are the difficult things. He's not doing that because he's trying to get us to begrudgingly obey. He's doing that because on the other side of that is life, like real life, like this stuff you can't buy kind of life. So I just want to take a second here and say, okay, Lord, where have I refused? Where have I just refused? Maybe it's leaning into a difficult relationship in your life. Maybe it's an area of your thought life. Maybe there's a place in your life that's just about real desperation right now. It's like if we were just to put a, a, a screen up and just say, hey, what are you desperate about? And you could anonymously text in, I bet you we'd fill it. I bet you we'd fill it. The centurion was desperate. Where have I said, I'm not going to do that? Where have I said that that's just not an area of my life and I'm going to trust God with? Where have I refused to follow? So this morning, wherever you're at with this, my prayer is that you would understand and you would begin to take these steps not burning bush steps, not pillar of fire, oh, this is clearly where God wants me to go, but real steps, real, deep, thoughtful, this is what God is saying. Whether it's through reading scripture, whether it's through a, a message here, whether it's through a conversation with a friend, that you feel the nudge to put more of your faith and your enacted loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus.